Hello, this is Josh. So we have our chat with Father Laird this Thursday, July 9th, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And please understand you don't have to be an expert on A Sunlit Absence, chapters one through four. You can just come and be yourself and listen. You can come with your honest and vulnerable questions. It will be an honor to have you a part of this special time. Father Laird truly is a world-leading teacher on contemplative practices. I was trying to explain his significance to someone last week, and I, I started to say, I don't know if there is a better teacher on contemplation alive today and I imagined if there were such a person, he or she is probably in seclusion somewhere on Mount Athos or some cave in Ethiopia or Egypt. What I'm offering in this episode is a kind of warm-up for our discussion on Thursday. This is a conversation I had with two very dear friends of mine, Dominic Palacios and Jared Ortiz. Dominic was the one who had the crazy idea of hiring me to serve at Harderwijk Church. It's a CRC church here in Holland on the north side. It's a larger church that has a couple different worshiping spaces on one campus. And I was intended to be the spiritual director at large for that community. It was two wonderful years where the Invitation podcast was birthed with Dominic's support along with our other co-pastor, John Burden. The other presenter in this conversation is Dr. Jared Ortiz, who's an assistant professor of theology at Hope College. I got to know Jared during my last few years in campus ministry at Hope. He has been one of my closest spiritual friends in the last uh, five, six years. I am proud to say that at one of his birthday celebrations, where I was the token Protestant in the room full of Catholics, including priests and postulants, Jared introduced me as the most Catholic Protestant he knows. I like to brag about that because I'm a four on the Enneagram and it makes me feel special. I recorded this conversation with them in August of 2018 that was intended to be an addendum to that summer's series where I worked through prayers of the heart, mind, soul, and strength with some friends of mine in a conversation that continued throughout that summer. And it didn't work out for me to include this conversation two years ago, and I think this conversation works so well Again, as a warm-up for our chat with Father Laird, I had stepped out of my position at Harderwijk probably six months prior to this conversation. And as things go, when you try to bring closure with your time with people, sometimes it gets awkward and strange. And Dominic had invited me to come sit by a fire one cooler summer evening after a long time of not seeing each other, and when I walked into his backyard, I saw next to him a copy of Father Martin Laird's 
entering the silent land, which is the first of the three books. We are doing the second one now, A Sunlit Absence. And I'll be honest, I was shocked that this Christian Reformed pastor was taking a deep dive into contemplative prayer. And so for the rest of that summer, I wondered how to somehow trick Dominic into a podcast conversation because I was eager to capture some of his early discovery of contemplative practice. I don't think Dominic will mind me saying that what you can hear in his sharing during this conversation is a kind of fumbling. He explains this whole topic is rather new to him. And Dominic offers us a special gift of his vulnerability with his suffering and with his humility. Here is Dominic reading a section from the end of Entering the Silent Land. What could we have learned without the help of our wounds, our brokenness, our failure? They have been the source of so much wisdom. Julian of Norwich says, Although a man has the scars of healed wounds, when he appears before God, they do not deface but ennoble him. Our wound, and this is him ending, you know, after the quote, our wounds are our trophies. I've told this story about Jared before that at some point during our times of prayer together, I arrived at his home one evening in a restlessness and I asked Jared, are you ever frustrated that the other Christians around just seem to be playing patty cake with God? And Jared responded in his own humility, no, I'm concerned that I'm the one who's playing patty cake with God. It's the humility of each of these men that allows me to come back to them in friendship year after year. I'll note that neither Dominic nor John are still at Harderwike. They have both moved on to other churches. John is out on the East Coast and Dominic has taken a position at a church in Denver. My interest in choosing these two men for the podcast is to place a Protestant pastor into a conversation with a Catholic theologian. If you listened to my previous conversations with Ruth Haley Barton, the question for the invitation is always, how can we translate a deeper contemplative spirituality for Christians in the local church that have not yet had an opportunity for whatever reason to discover that there is always more of God and more ways for us to indwell and to experience and to know that God. What you'll hear in this episode is how my Catholic and Protestant brothers both have a deep concern for a biblical practice of prayer. You'll hear from Dominic, especially the heart of a pastor, the mode and the posture of a pastor of how to help people understand more of God. And then with Jared, the theologian, we look at questions of orthodoxy, of whether orthodoxy, mysticism, and contemplation can all be integrated and fit together as one whole. 
I also appreciate the opportunity to present the ecumenical community of Christ that Dominic and Jared both raised initially in the Catholic tradition, but then they end up taking what seems like on paper very different paths. As you listen, you'll witness what a Protestant and a Catholic share in common rather than what separates them from each other. And in a time where there is much division, what is a greater witness to Christ's presence on the earth than the body of Christ coming together in unity to learn how to nurture the church and to go deeper into contemplative transformation in Jesus? I had to do some fancy edits at the beginning of this. So for the first third half of this, you're just going to hear kind of a montage of each of their voices in a, a more of a produced manner, and then we'll settle into a shared discussion. So here we are, a Reformed pastor and a Catholic theologian walk into a bar. I mean, they sit down with me in my home office. We begin with Dominic Palacios telling some of his early story, followed by Jared Ortiz. I hope you're blessed. Amen. Uh, but yeah, I uh, grew up as a very nominal Catholic. You know, a lot of people make the joke about, you know, Christmas and Easter Catholics. And uh, we were, my dad's this uh, moody artist type. And so we were Lent Catholics. <laughs> and so <laughs> I remember going to pretty much every Ash Wednesday and Good Friday service growing up, but not, not Easter even. So, uh, uh, but I remember even from a young age finding something mysterious and different about that hour and so uh, mass was uh, um, optional for us uh, but I would sometimes I was the, out of my two bro- two other brothers I would go the most because I was just drawn to something there that uh, until later I didn't really have language for that but I think that that curiosity really was was the um, was the foundation for the experience I had after high school uh, when uh, I went to an evangelical summer camp from a, a, a parachurch ministry called Young Life. Probably a lot of people know what that is, but I went to uh, Young Life camp the summer after my senior year and uh, I accepted Christ. I heard the gospel really presented in a clear, personal way, and I made um, that commitment that that summer. And I went to Grand Valley, uh, not planning on becoming a Christian, you know, that summer. And uh, I got involved in a campus ministry group uh, at Grand Valley. And I found out later that that was a, a, a Christian Reformed Church and Reformed Church of America kind of outreach ministry on the campus of Grand Valley. And during those uh, four years, I had tremendous mentorship and, and friendship. And they thought it would be a good idea to put me in charge of other people, uh, you know, <laughs> spiritually. And uh, led Bible studies led uh, mission trips, became a leader in that ministry. They put me up front, shy kid in high school, even shy kid at college, you know, getting thrown to the wolves to read scripture and even pray and do all that stuff during our our church services. And senior year, uh, my pastor pulled me aside and said, you should go to seminary. And I said, I don't know what that is. (laughs) And he said, that's what you, you go to seminary to become a pastor. And I said, you got the wrong, you know, you got the wrong guy. You know, I'm, I've only been at this for a few, few years. And, 
And so he said, well, we as your church are affirming that in you. And go ask your friends, go ask the people, your roommates, your people you're leading. All of them said, So my journey to becoming even, you know, a committed Christian, uh, you know, having that conversion experience, very unlikely, very, you know, unlikely uh, seminary student, uh, unlikely, you know, to get a church in West Michigan, which all the people from the CRC, they wanted to be in West Michigan from the time they were born. You know, I wasn't looking for a church in West Michigan, but it happened. And so I definitely wasn't planning on staying here now for 10 years. It was 10 years ago on August 1, my first day in Holland, uh, my first church. And so I've been here for a decade now. So my my, my faith story in many ways and my story be, becoming a pastor is, and even what I do now is very unlikely. So yeah, so that's that's a little bit, little bit about me and, and how I got here. So I too uh, was raised as a nominal Catholic. Um, we went to mass a little more frequently. Uh, we were Sunday mass goers at least up until I was around eight years old when my parents got divorced. And like many things, when parents get divorced, uh, lots of things fall apart, and um, our our spiritual formation, uh, as as it was, uh, fell apart as well. So we stopped going to mass after my parents got divorced. Uh, but I did um, push on and continue um, in my sacramental formation, um, and I did receive uh, my sacraments, which is not uh, uncommon uh, in in modern Catholic culture, uh, and is a very unfortunate phenomenon that one does not have any sort of prayer life or ecclesial life, but one continues to uh, progress into the sacraments. But so I, I took my catechesis classes. Um, did not do well in them, but uh, was <laughs> confirmed and received the Holy Spirit nonetheless uh, when I was 13 years old. Uh, and not being in any position to receive him, it, he did not uh, bear any fruit in my soul. <laughs> but, he was, but he was there, um, just like those baptismal graces were there. Um, but uh, even before my confirmation, I was wandering pretty far away uh, from God and got into all sorts of mischief in middle school and in high school, um, got into other kinds of mischief. Um, but, you know, without a church, I, I found other places for ultimate meaning. And in high school, that was friends and a girlfriend in particular, uh, which really became um, my, my church, my place of, of, of deep meaning. And uh, entering into my senior year, um, that girlfriend and I broke up and she took all of the friends and my place of ultimate meaning collapsed. And that's probably one of the best things that um, uh, has ever happened to me. Um, because I fell, I hit sort of rock bottom and I sort of had to find a way and a new way and to sort of see where I could put my trust. Um, God was not really on my horizon at that point, but um, that experience led to a series of conversions over the next couple of years. The one I had in my senior year um, was after I read a book called Four Arguments for the Elimination of Television. And mm. I, stopped reading, I stopped watching television, <laughs> cold turkey and exercising and hiking and 
um, talked to an aunt of mine who was in a 12-step program and so made amends to all of these friends and my girlfriend. And so all of this was like the inklings of a spiritual life, which I had sort of never had and um, appreciating God's grandeur uh, or the, uh, the grandeur of creation, which I didn't really attribute to God just yet, but um, had an inkling of that. And then I went off to college and went to the University of Chicago, which is a very secular school. And um, when I was, I remember my freshman year waiting to get into the dorm and an upperclassman came by and said, we were just chatting and uh, he's going to help me with my boxes uh, into my dorm room. And he said, um, well, you know, University of Chicago is famous for turning people into atheists. Mm. And I said, well, so I'm already an atheist. I have nothing to lose. <laughs> what do I care? So I just sort of threw myself into my learning and very providentially. again at the time but these were sort of the beginnings of sort of opening up my soul to to God and something transcendent and so that journey continued my second year with more reading I studied the Old Testament and uh, and then my junior year I decided I want to study the New Testament and so sort of slowly reading my way back and thinking I should go to church at some point um, and not really knowing how to turn the corner and um, I remember I was going to do an independent study and someone Amy Cass suggested I do it with Paul Griffiths, uh, who some people know as uh, a wonderful Catholic theologian, and I didn't know him from anybody. But he, um, I went to go meet with him, and uh, you know, he agreed to do it. And he said, well, tell me what you'd like to do. And I said, well, I'd like to meet once a week for an hour. I'll write two pages for you, and um, I'll send it to you the night before, and we'll, we'll meet and we'll talk about it. And he said, well, why don't I give you an hour and a half, and you just bring the paper with you? And I thought that was the most generous thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> Here was this guy, didn't know me at all, um, whose time was very precious and uh, gave me an hour and a half of his time. And um, here he was, this generous, brilliant, beautiful Catholic man. And I thought, I can't stay away from church. What am I doing? This is stupid. So I decided to go to church the next day. It was Wednesday morning. I went to the 6.30 a.m. mass um, and Paul Griffiths was there. <laughs> wow. um, surprised me and scared me but it was great um but yeah from then that's where i turned the corner my junior year um and yeah, we can also tell more of that story if you want but that's that's how i came back to uh back to the church so i'd probably point um if they were Catholic, I'd point to the catechism. If they were not Catholic, I would um, talk about the catechism without naming it. Um, <laughs> but the catechism uh, has a beautiful, the catechism of the Catholic Church has a beautiful, beautiful section on prayer, which I think would edify anybody Catholic or, or, or not Catholic. Um, but it makes a distinction between uh, three expressions, three kinds of expressions of prayer. And the first is vocal prayer, and the second is meditation, and the third is contemplative prayer. And these are not hard and, and fast lines, but these are, as they call it, uh, expressions. And so, uh, you know, vocal prayer is important. And, you know, some of us pray, um, uh, memorize prayer. Some of us pray spontaneously. We pray out loud. Um, and even if we um, pray silently, you know, over words, right, this is a, a kind of vocal prayer. Jesus does this, <clears throat> uh, teach us how to pray. When you pray, pray like this, Our Father. 
um, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prays, and he prays over Jerusalem. He prays, you know, we have these prayers, uh, his high priestly prayer. So Jesus prays vocal prayer. Um, then there's another kind of prayer, you know, meditation, and you can call this a sort of a prayerful thinking <laughs> or prayerful reading uh, where you're, you know, um, you're, you're sort of ruminating on something, you know, uh, you're, you're reading scripture or you're reading uh, some spiritual writing or um, you're looking at an icon or uh, something like that. And you're sort of just prayerfully trying to understand some mystery, you're praying, you know, praying the rosary and think, meditating on, on the, the mysteries of Christ's life, his joyful mysteries or his sorrowful mysteries or his glorious mysteries. Um, and so, so you're, you're meditating, you're turning this over in your mind, trying to understand, trying to go deeper. Then contemplative prayer really is, I think it is the most mysterious one. Um, you know, I would call it um, something like, you know, transforming union. Um, you know, where it is a kind of conversation between lovers, a heart to heart, um, a heart speaking unto heart. It's a prayer in the deep silence of your heart, where not just quieting your body, uh, but quieting your mind and quieting your heart. You know, my my setting is that I am a pastor. You know, I'm, I, I have some college students, but really it's just kind of moms and dads and aunts, uncles, old folks, young folks. Just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm caring for them. I'm, I pastor them. And, you know, and I, I approach those those kinds of questions from a pastoral standpoint. And yeah. I always look for the, the, the thing beneath the thing is, you know, the, the what is this is usually the thing beneath that is is fear of prayer i don't pray enough or i pray the wrong words or what if i pray and it's i don't do it right you'll it's you'll it's amazing to me how many people are afraid of praying you know when i enter into those conversations i share my own journey with prayer of you know never really praying growing up and and when i became a christian it was in some of these more kind of evangelical settings and so people were just super good at praying you know like and i was just like what is what are they doing when i would go to mass that's not how they would pray when i grew up and and when i did did encounter prayer and i felt uh inadequate uh in those moments of saying i just don't know how to do that and and so in my own prayer journey it it became about saying less and you know the contemplative prayer tradition is something fresh when you invited me to speak about contemplative prayer i'm just a couple months into this to be honest and and but i've been on a journey that has been leading me to this point mm -hmm. and uh and for me it was taking hold of the lord's prayer uh mm -hmm. to say uh, and jesus even says that um you know in his words but right before he teaches the lord's prayer it's like they think that they'll be recognized by their many words you know and when you pray pray like this and it's a simple prayer my uh my we taught it to my daughter and she was young when she learned it and she still knows every word and kids can learn it and um adults can learn it and and 
people on their deathbed with dementia mm-hmm. remember it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's this, it's saying less words, you know, the Our Father. It's saying, and so my journey has been on to say fewer and fewer words. And um, when I tell people who are, are asking questions about their prayer life, I said, if you simply pray the Lord's Prayer every single day, mm-hmm. you will have a better prayer life than most of the, like, than more Christians than you realize. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's kind of been my journey is to make sure I say the Lord's Prayer at least once every single day. And and for me, this this new journey into contemplative prayer, I think it's just that one step even further of saying it can be silence. And um, I don't have to find any of the words. I can just simply be silent before God. And so... Uh, Dam, you know, and you know, church history and early church and Desert Fathers, and and this is not new, you know. This is uh, this is not something we're borrowing, you know. And want to say, are you borrowing this from, you know, from the Eastern traditions? Are you borrowing this from Buddhism or or? And it's like this is not, this is ours. We we we. This is part of our tradition. This is part of our history. Uh, this is part of of who we are. Um, you know, you know, reaching back, you know, th- you know, thousands of years. So. Uh, and so that's what, and so I assure them is, especially when people are starting to read literature or read different authors and they're hearing about contemplative prayer and silence to, to assure them this is biblical. This does fit into our, you know, reformed framework. Yeah, yeah. Calvin wrote, Calvin himself wrote a lot on prayer and was a man of prayer. And, you know, there's a story and I'm not, you know, sometimes these things, are these apocryphal or are they, you know, are they, are they true? But when Calvin died, kind of one of the stories I've heard is that his his rug where he prayed was was worn down, um, knee marks, um, and so it's like we we come from a tradition of of prayer too, um, to reassure them that that's part of who we are, um, and so pastorally I approach it pastorally. It's long answer, you know, long story short. I, I approach it I approach it you know pastorally to say, you know. It's it's okay to 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 not know how to do these things, but that's why. We have the we have the perfect teacher in Jesus saying this is how you pray, and then that next step toward step, next step to be even to, to have even less words with Jared. So that sweet kind of union with God, how, how amazing would that be to say? I don't even have to come up with those words. I can just be still, <laughs> right? And uh, and it's okay, which I think is an incredibly freeing thing. So yeah, no, I want to just piggyback on so much of what you said um so you think students come up to me right and the catholic and protestant students often have very different experiences catholic students are very good at rote prayer and um the protestant students are often very good at spontaneous prayer and actually many students aren't good at any prayer but uh if they divide up they, that's how they divide up <clears throat> and yet i think you need both you know and i was actually very grateful i mean i did not get a good formation as a kid but i knew my our father and i knew my hail mary's and when i came back to church that's what i prayed and um it's something that is, um, you know, when you learn it, right, and you really learn it, especially as a kid, but even as an adult, right, um, it's something that sort of seeps into your bones. I remember I have a, a friend of mine, who's a, a few years ago, but you know, he was sort of a new Christian, and um, he called me, and, and he had just had this, you know, he had, he had this big fight with his wife, and 
and uh, this guy has some anger issues. And he was in prison for a while, but really good guy. And he was a new Christian. And and he's like, oh, I was just so angry. And he's like, I just felt this rage. And he said, I just I just had to leave the house. And, and I was driving down the, down the road and I was flying 90 miles per hour. And he says, and I was just screaming the Our Father at the top of my lungs. I must have looked like an idiot. It's like no, you must look beautiful. I mean, yeah. I mean, how wonderful is that? I mean, he like he was so angry he couldn't think of like spontaneous prayer. You know, you can't compose something beautiful at the moment, but like his bones were like crying out, you know, in prayer to God there, you know, in this prayer that he had learned way, way, way long ago. You know, that was deep crying, really yeah, that deep crying out, and and again to kind of continue to go that further. You know, it's you know at funerals I see this, and you know at funerals everyone comes out of the woodwork of a family, <laughs> even of those mm-hmm. people that were senior saints. They had some children who perhaps were wayward sons and daughters, but you get into that circle and you start saying the, our father and everyone's, uh, you know, they know it. Yeah. And you know that, you know, and you, you experienced this too, Josh, during your time at Heart Awake during our Ash Wednesday services. Um, we started doing, as a, our dinners at Hardawake used to be rather unruly, and they still are to some degree, but we have this framing mechanism, and and uh, we, we started this several years ago. I said, we need to have a time where we actually pray, or this thing is just going to continue to just be this crazy meal, and everyone's going to go out to their places. But we started doing, uh, we did a couple of announcements, and then everybody stand up wherever you are, even if you're in line, you know, you guys can stop in line for a moment, and we say, the Our Father together. And what's amazing about that is that... Uh, we have this after-school recess program of, of kids from one of the local elementary schools. And this has been a program, 20, 30, 20 years program. And, and for whatever reason, when we started doing the Our, the Our Father, Lord's Prayer at, at dinnertime, the, the after-school recess kids just, it just drew them in like such an amazing thing, right? And they loved it. And they said, can we go up there as a group and, and do it for, you know, by the end of the year, can we do it for? And what ended up happening is since our Wednesday, since our meals are on Wednesday nights, Ash Wednesday, it's like, well, what do we do with the ASR kids? And we said, well, they can come to the Ash Wednesday service. And I'm like, do they want to do the Lord's Prayer? Mm-hmm. So it's been the tradition now at our church where this group, where really this is a pretty unchurch group of folks who come to this program, and every year they they lead us mm-hmm. telling stories like that, and like your friend was screaming. These are. These are important prayer stories because it, it doesn't always have to be genteel, right? It can, like the the Lord's prayer can be incredibly, uh, incredibly raw, and and um, and messy in the in the case of of this meal on Wednesday nights, right? And so, uh, and so I, I find that to be a compelling part of prayer, and it can really be a pastoral moment where you lead people in through those stories that these prayers matter. probably four or five times a year during Wednesday nights, I explain why we do the Lord's Prayer. And these things are, and I said, because scripture tells us that the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. There were so many formulaic prayers that he could have taught them. He could have said the Shema. He could have said, he could have said anything, he, you know, but he said, do it this way. And so I said, we would, we're wise to, 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 to take him at his word on that. 
So if you want to learn to pray, that's what Jesus says to do. We're always being formed, right? And so it's it's what's forming us and what's inside. Um, Pixar has this great movie called Inside Out. You know, this girl and her family move and you see her interior life, her emotions sort of um, interacting and uh, they're in her memory at one point and uh, the, the memory workers are getting rid of the memories that she doesn't use. They fade and they go into the memory dump. But they, then they hold up this memory of the gum commercial and they said, this one will never fade. And sometimes we send this up for no reason. Let's send it up now. And they send it up. And she starts singing it. Uh, it's, a, it's a brilliant scene. Um, but that's true with the Our Father, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like what's inside us and what's in our memory, what's forming us, what's shaping us. Is it scripture? Is it gum commercials? Um, what's battling around in our soul, you know, below the surface, right? We have these things on the surface, but under the surface, all sorts of things are churning and going on. And what can we call up when we need it, right? I mean, imagine if my friend had not been taught the Our Father when he was a kid, what would he be screaming? He may just be screaming curse words at that point, you know, and not calling out to God, but calling out to something else darker, you know? Um, so what's inside you that you can call up, right? So I mean, that's why I think these things are, are essential, right? And there's always the danger of them just becoming rote or just, you know, bah, 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 you know, just, <clears throat> you know, sort of vain, vain prayers. But um, there's also the, um, uh, the formative element of it, you know, for the young kids especially. And then as you become older and more responsible, living into the words more intentionally, you know, and, and being formed by them and then living into that formation, you know, and letting it shape your character um, and your mind and your heart um, in deeply Christian and biblical ways. vocal prayer to medita meditation to contemplation. I don't think those are like steps in a hierarchy. Yeah, uh, that's, you're not, you don't graduate into the right, next school, right. right? I'm done with the Our Father. Yeah, triple uh, A, that <laughs> no, was triple A. No, I'm getting called two. up to the major leagues now that, now that I'm done with that. Yeah, yeah. she never outgrows much No, yeah. no. Yeah, and did you ever outgrow Jesus? I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, um, you don't. But maybe, but perhaps even that with, with the, as you talk about levels, these aren't levels, you know, I, I've, I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot and I, and I, I just think of the, that, that kid who for whatever reason just was drawn to go to mass with my dad. Mm -hmm. And you could say part of it is like, oh yeah, he would take us out for, you know, he would take me out for, you know, Coney dog sometimes after mass. And that was like a way to get time with my dad. But there was something beyond that. And it's, what if. Those word, you know, what if even little Dominic, when he was like seven years old, was offering up these wordless prayers that, the, you know, and what if that, you know, and so even as I said earlier about saying I had this conversion experience, I, I don't even know if that would, I don't even know if I even enjoy calling it that even more because there was this thing that was happening. Mm -hmm. And so um, that could have been a moment where there were these wordless prayers too, and I wasn't even maybe aware of mm -hmm. those things going up to... To, 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 to God, right? And it's just even as a little child, right? Something was drawing me there. What was it, right? So 
I want to, I think that's good. It's not like this is a graduation thing. And I think that's going maybe back to your first question. Yeah. It's not like, okay, we're the real Christians here. Yeah. We're the real close ones to God. Like we, we know how to do this. We're the ones who aren't playing and, Yeah. And I think that's such an important thing when you're dealing with, you know, people who have jobs and who are, are parents and are, it's, it's like, it's, it's having, um, you know, it's, it's having that in, in, in plain view, right. Mm -hmm. That, that these are, that these are folks just trying to live out their, their faith and we're not, we don't want to go into levels, right. Right. You know, and that's the last thing we want to do to our people. Yeah. I have two, so two thoughts. And one is, I mean, I, I feel like I have grown in prayer, you know, um, but I also still feel like I'm uh, at square one, you know, um, and there's been different prayer practices at different seasons in my life or different years, periods in my life or in that growth that have really moved me and spoken to me. Um, at, at there's stuff that I do now that I couldn't have done five years ago. And there's stuff that I do five years ago that I'm less interested in now. Um, so, you know, I pray uh, what we call the, the liturgy, of the hours or the divine office. Um, this is likely what uh, the form of this is what um, Jesus and the apostles probably prayed, which is, you know, praying through the Psalms in a, in a sort of set way. This is what the monks pray. It's what all priests pray. Um, but I remember trying to do this uh, when I first came to the ch church and it was just like way over my head. I was like, what are these Psalms about? Who are these people? <laughs> What's going on? Why am I praying? This is so weird. You know, and I just did not resonate at all with the Psalms, you know, and now I, if I, I do it morning and evening prayer and if I miss one because of, you know, work or busyness, you really feel like I'm missing a part of my day, you know. So that's just another thing just in terms of seasons. I mean, we are talking about some high and, you know, uh, high things and some mixed things here. Mm -hmm. And I could see some people being very intimidated and just, I'm not there yet. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not there yet either. <laughs> no. Um, and this is, like I said, very new to like the kind of this contemplative prayer is very, very new for me. But that leads me to the second thing I wanted to share is the things that get in the way of of prayer. And there's sort of two, I think you know there's two things that that block prayer, right? Our mind and our hearts, right? So mind, the things that get in the way of prayer, are distractions, and then and heart, the things that get in the way of prayer, are sin, right? And I've also found this too that, um, you know, I've had um, you know, I have lots of sinful habits, <laughs> but some more pronounced than others, uh, and some actually very habitual sins. You'll know, put it that way, and uh, I've prayed through those for years, but I found that actually when God healed those, my prayer really opened up in some pretty remarkable ways. Um, and it was because I was sort of attached to uh, certain sins that I was actually blocking prayers, blocking my transformative union with God, because I wouldn't open myself to him, because I wouldn't give myself to him, because the, 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 the channels weren't clear for God to sort of flow through. Um, and now that, that some of those things have been healed and, and, you know, have grown in virtue, uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit, um, I feel like those channels are much more open. What I still struggle with a lot is distraction, you know, and so I try to pray. First thing I pray, memorize prayer. As soon as I wake up in the morning, I try, I want that to be the first thing, you know, on, on my mind when I wake up. But usually it's... Oh, I gotta send this email, and I gotta do this work, and oh, it's kids. All right, kids I, crying. Or when, what's when, when I woke up this morning, the first thing I opened my my daughter was sitting right there. I was like, oh man, like why are you face here? to face? Just like why are you here? <laughs> no, but you know, I'm on. Uh, you know, to just these talking about different seasons of life, and and I think you know, I've been on a particularly in the last year, you know, and and 
you know, if any of my hard awake people are listen, end up listening to this, you know, um, you know, last September, it's almost a year from now, a young man in our congregation, uh, died pretty tragically and not pretty tragically died in a, in a water, water accident on Lake Michigan, um, in early September last year, just a great, great family. You, you, you probably remember the family and, 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 and hear that. And, and for me, I just had this thing where I felt like I had to be the one to keep it to like be strong and keep going and going and going and going and going and going. Like, and I didn't even take a Sunday off until like November, you know, and I just kept going and just pushed it, pushed that down. And, and it wasn't until, you know, a new year's, I was hanging out with a friend on new year's and he said, well, how are you doing with all that? And I said, you know, I'm fine. I gave that kind of Christian answer. I'm fine. And he said, no, like real, like, how are you really doing? I just started, you know, crying there was kind of kind of a downer on a new year's eve party but you know it was uh but i've been in this kind of um for me this kind of uh you know my my heart's been opening up to you know you know discovering this kind of enneagram stuff that we've talked about Mm -hmm. studying and doing some deep dive on that and and just learning my motivation as a enneagram type one this kind of perfectionist reformer type like you know um, afraid of of not being the strong one, the right one, all the stuff, you know, and and um, and uh, you know, I'm seeing a um, spiritual director slash counselor right now who who suggested this book on contemplative prayer. I'm holding now, but you know, he talked about um, the the and this is kind of a story. He said, "What is your story on contemplative prayer?" And this is kind of the one that has been so meaningful to me. He said, you know, underneath the the anger of a one, because anger is kind of this driving force of a one, underneath the anger of a one is is sorrow and pain. Mm. And I'm like, of course. Mm. And he said, try framing it in terms of instead of anger, what if you brought your ache to God? Instead of your anger to God, what if you brought your ache to God? And Kind of learning some of these contemplative practices i just found my and i normally don't even have this and so it's kind of super vulnerable even sharing it on on this but like i remember doing that and i don't have a lot of kind of tangible maybe expressions or visions or anything like that but i said here's my ache and i just re- i just remember mm-hmm. like that time i just felt hugged mm-hmm. and i'm like that is like exactly what i needed and and so for me kind of being on this journey of being a little more open and honest i think that's another thing with prayer like you said whether it's open with your the sins and the habitual sins and for me it was being honest with the things i was hiding like my sadness <laughs> right and my my deep pain over some of the things that had happened and um and the sorrow for the family and the sorrow for our church and um that you know sometimes the pastor you think you know i i can't can't let them see you sweat right and so i gotta be the you know they're depending on me i can't be weak too you know and just realizing like that 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 turning it to ache you know and it was it was such an important kind of process for me in in prayer is is being open to how i was truly feeling so yeah it's probably powerful stuff well but what i hear i hear you saying openness suffering honesty 
Um, and I hear you describing space for yourself, really contemplative prayer. We run out of words, and it's not necessarily the words are bad, it's just that we don't even maybe understand the Lord's Prayer, or we've said it enough. The other way to think about it is that we've said it enough that it's so deep in us that we can now sit with it. And I hear you you saying that you're both the formation from that, things like the Lord's Prayer, but then also suffering. It does lead us to these places where we need space to be with God, to be open and honest. So thank you. It's just this quote I have from this book I'm reading, and I don't know if we're allowed to, you know, oh, say books and resources. Please, but, that's um, exactly yeah. But uh, my director slash counselor gave me this book, "Into the Silent Land" by Martin Laird. Mm -hmm. And if anybody's wanting to take the jump, maybe mm -hmm. from not knowing what contemplative prayer is, to, mm -hmm. to I would highly recommend it. And there's this line in here that we're talking about pain, right? Um, uh, he talks about um the mountain and the weather. I don't know if you remember this image mm -hmm. from this book. Mm -hmm. And this hit me so much with how I sometimes get wrapped up in my feelings and my emotions. Mm -hmm. And he said, a lot of times, you know, if you ever have been to the mountains, you know that weather comes across a mountain and it's chaotic mm -hmm. and it's harsh. And even in some mountains, they say, you, you weather comes upon you, wet, mountains are dangerous. Mm -hmm. And he said, sometimes we get caught up um, in the weather. We get caught up in the chaos of the weather, the swirling of the weather. Um, but he said, um, he says, basically what contemplative prayer helps us see is we're not the weather we're the mountain mm -hmm. and the mountain is not affected by the weather. Mm -hmm. Um, the weather, the mountain is in it. The mountain sees mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. They're a witness to the, the mountains, a witness to the weather, but mm -hmm. it's not, it's not, um, mm -hmm. it's not brought down by the weather. Mm -hmm. My kind of centering thought has been mm -hmm. on the mountain. Mm -hmm. And that has been, mm -hmm. I can just feel my, even my physiology just mm -hmm. dropping mm -hmm. when I, when I kind of go there. Mm -hmm. But I, I found that to be incredible in times mm -hmm. of stress and mm -hmm. things hitting you as a pastor, mm -hmm. which they mm -hmm. do pretty much every day mm -hmm. on the mountain. Mm -hmm. It's been transformative for, mm -hmm. for me, that, that image from this book. I'm really thankful that you talk about the physiology of it because there's, a temptation uh, to make prayer practice into a Gnostic thing where we're just thinking about our spirits at the expense of our bodies or bodiliness. So if we can quiet our bodies, it's one thing to help us quiet our souls. And Chuck is saying that that's the movement from the uh, amygdala, from the brainstem, this fight or flight panic, or it's not even panic. Sometimes it's just checking out to then prefrontal. So it really is, in my experience, the deeper kinds of prayer when I'm not using my mind or in discursive um, vocal prayers, even recitation, is a settling. So Martin Laird really helps us a lot to think about contemplation is that kind of getting intimate with our breath so much to calm ourselves if we're aware of that, that settles us in a place. Not that it's magic, but all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's not zing. It's that we're getting our, our ourselves and our attention to a place of receptivity where then the Spirit can act. But it's going back to that, mm. that, that 
learning about mm-hmm. the Enneagram mm-hmm. type one body center, right? Mm-hmm. And I just always thought that was something to almost mm-hmm. be, because I've, I've joked around about this, explaining mm-hmm. this when, you know, you learn anger is kind of this thing mm-hmm. that's always there mm-hmm. you know, on your shoulder when you go to bed and there when you wake up. And I've always said like, man, I always, and I, this has been such a source of self-love. Mm-hmm. I hated that about myself. Yeah. Particularly since becoming a Christian, mm-hmm. I hated that fact. Because it was always like well-intentioned pastors give a litany of sins. Mm. It's like sexual sin and anger. I'm like, anger's always the second one, man. And it's like, <laughs> how do you do that? But this idea of mm-hmm. being a body type and mm-hmm. that kind of presence isn't just strictly God didn't make me evil just in that way. No. It's like this thing that Cheerio. has been a freeing thing. It, it fits together too with that centering prayer, mm-hmm. being present in your body, mm-hmm. um, but also like learning some of the stuff of, of it's okay to fail. Okay mm. to mess oh, up. Man, and yeah. this is that quote from earlier mm-hmm. that, um, that I wanted to yeah, um, please. read. And it's, it's at the, it's pretty much one of the last uh, paragraphs of the book. Mm. Um, what could we have learned without the help of our wounds, our brokenness, our failure? They have been the source of so much wisdom. Julian of Norwich says, Although a man has the scars of healed wounds, when he when he appears before God, they do not deface but ennoble ennoble him. Mm. Our wound, and this is him ending. You know, after the quote, our wounds are our trophies. And to a one whose biggest fear is being wrong mm-hmm. and flawed, mm-hmm. um, to hear that um, that quote from Norwich. Mm our healed wounds actually ennoble us before God mm. is actually an pretty, impre- a pretty incredible um, image. Mm. So. so contemplation is very much a very practical way of, of accepting our weaknesses. Yeah, he says the wound is the doorway into the silent mm. land. Mm. Like accepting your wound and your, 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 your wound actually is what lays you bare mm. and can bring you into silence. And... Um, yeah, heady, heady stuff, but but so but, just but, it's but not incredibly but not, practical, but not because you can just feel it in yeah. your gut. You know, you just right. can feel that it's not even mm-hmm. having the brain of a great scholar. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it's in your gut. Well, it's right? what you're saying that that little Dominic yeah. could have known that in some ways, and and this is what's interesting. The contemplation is often taught as a process of unlearning. And I, I think Martin Laird talks about that, that we're, in that sense, we're rediscovering some of the primal ways that we were created to be contemplative beings. So that's the difficulty in trying to posture this. This is the reason why I'm glad you guys are here to talk about this, just to help broaden the conversation for lots of different types of people coming from different places, mm-hmm. is that it's so easy to assume prayer is scary. I don't do it. I'm intimidated by it. I kind of fail at it. And then now you're telling me that I'm supposed to go do this deeper stuff and I'm supposed to read these books. Oh my gosh. Well, but what we're really trying to say is this is what we were created for. Yeah. And I was thinking before when you were describing these different kinds of prayers, uh, and this, you know, breathing and these different kinds of techniques and, um, it's, we live in a very interesting time, you know, uh, people are very drawn to Eastern religions and, uh, new age, uh, and yoga and things like that. And I think part of the reason they're drawn to that is, um, because of our, because our imaginations 
are formed by technology. Mm. And we want a technique. Mm-hmm. Right. So we come in here, we turn on the light switch, the lights go on. I flip a switch, the mm-hmm. lights go on. I hit a button, I get mm-hmm. my music. You know, We want something like that for prayer. Right. So give me a technique. Give me a technique. Now, the Christian tradition, there's lots of techniques we could draw on, but there's mm-hmm. no sort of Christian technique. One, for, one size fits all. One, right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so it's like, oh, well, that's why I like, you know, being with the Buddhists or being with uh, mm-hmm. the yoga, because there's these, I, I do the downward dog and I feel, yeah, I feel good, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the different thing about Christian prayer is like these techniques are helpful, right? The mindfulness is mm-hmm. helpful, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, the breathing is helpful, the settling down, the quieting, mm-hmm. all those things are helpful, mm-hmm. you know, just on a bodily and psychological, just on a purely natural level, those mm-hmm. things are helpful, right? But they're not, the difference between those practices and Christian prayer is is Christ, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Is, is, is that, you know, we do those techniques to have communion mm-hmm. with Christ. Mm, thank you. Right? And that's mm-hmm. what transforms us. That's what our prayer mm-hmm. is, you know? It's not a technique, mm-hmm. right? If we do do techniques, mm-hmm. right, it's for the sake of this. And that's why, you know, I started with that inviting God in. And that's because, you know, I, it's hard for me to find quiet space until mm-hmm. the kids go to bed, you know? <laughs> uh, and even then they wake up, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it's hard for me to find quiet space mm-hmm. to quiet down like that unless I'm on retreat, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, if you invite God in, you spend more time with God. What that does is it makes God present, but it also makes you want to seek out the silence, mm. you know, mm. um, because most of them, I say this a lot to my students, they have never had two minutes of silence in their life. They grow up all with phones in their in their hands, uh, television and computers, and they've never had any silence. You can't walk down the street. There's no silence. right? And so they're afraid of themselves. They're afraid about what's inside, mm. you know. Um, but again, if you just invite God into that fear, you just invite God in, right? That begins the transforming union, mm-hmm. right? And it's like any kind of courtship, you know, it's slow at first and it grows deeper. Right? Mm-hmm. And the deeper it grows, the more you want to spend time with God. Mm-hmm. Right? But yeah, it's going to be tentative at first. It's going to be weird at first. Yeah, there, there is a broad spectrum of spiritual directors, and spiritual formation is a broad term. I'm involved in interfaith conversations in the prison, um, but, but then where is the space for a very clear, Christological, Jesus-centered language? And it does seem that there is the people that are more concerned about that Jesus language to be crass, you know, have an allergic reaction to contemplative prayer. And they do. You know, I was mm-hmm. saying this before we started, you know, we're mm-hmm. doing this reading group mm-hmm. um, with some pe- uh, folks at Fusion on the Enneagram. And, you know, we, we you know, after our group, kind of the kind of the parking lot chatter, so to speak, one mm-hmm. of the um, one of the women in my group said, you know, why I'm starting to kind of explore this more and explore contemplative prayer. And she wanted to know why. uh are most of the people, the voices right now, the people that are loudest voices in this kind of new, new um, kind of uh, interest in contemplative mm-hmm. prayer and these contemplative practices tend to be more on the, on the liberal side of Christianity mm-hmm. and um, um, not really kind of well, in my opinion, outside of the realm of Orthodox, you know, because we're an Orthodox church. We're a, you know, we're a gospel centered church. Mm-hmm. People that, you know, people like 
you, she was telling me, people like you typically don't do this stuff, so what gives? Mm. And it kind of dovetailed into another conversation I had with a with another one of my friends who's on a journey right now, and we were just saying, like, why can't it be? And I just said to both this woman, my group, and my friend, I go, like, why can't it be both? Mm-hmm. You know, and why can't we speak um, the truth of the gospel, mm-hmm. truth of Jesus, um, mm-hmm. high Orthodox Christology into these practices? Mm-hmm. Because I think you said it earlier, the point is not the practice. The point is Jesus and what he did and his sacrificial, mm-hmm. um, his perfect life, his sacrificial death. His, you know, you've heard me, you've heard this sermon from me a few <laughs> times, Josh. Um, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection and ascension mm-hmm. and his uh, uh eventual return right Mm. like it can all that's what we're trying to connect with through all of this Mm -hmm. and so for me it's it has to be both Mm. or there's no point but that's just where i land yeah thank you yeah no the catechism says uh, has a whole section called the universal call to prayer Mm. right because yeah i think we do think either sometimes you know yeah i I, you know i I, I do my morning devotion and, and i'm done you know or whatever i say my hail mary and i'm done you know and then prayers for those other people you know, and then this mystical prayer thing, like those are for the, I mean, maybe they're the superheroes or maybe those are the freaks, <laughs> depending <laughs> what tradition you're from. Um, you know, if you're Catholic, like you, you, you respect these guys, but you're like, oh, that's not me. You know, that's not for me. But I'm actually reading a lovely book on John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila, um, who are, you know, two of the great mystics of, of the, in the 16th century. And they say, look, this is not just for monks and nuns. This is for everybody. Mm-hmm. And they they think, you know, yeah, you have a family. This is what you're called to. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's union with Jesus. And that's what everyone is called to. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and God loves you. And God is calling you. And how do you respond? Well, you respond in prayer. That's how you respond to God. Right? And what does God want? God wants to make love to you, right? So you need to show up, and then you need to get naked. <laughs> Maybe a little too much for my uh, Protestant brother. Uh, here. People at Hardwick, I, I can't. That's a bridge too far for this is the, your, the, the your past. sloppy wet kiss line. And, I'm, uh, I'm uncomfortable he with all of it. Jealous for me, loves like a hurricane. Yeah. No, but that's but but God calls us to union, right? And yeah. and it's that's the union is not just for heaven that you. Union starts yeah. now, and we have to it's get one of the used best, to heaven. It's one of the best doctrines we have is union with Christ. Yes. You know, it's it's a it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and that and that to me is why it can be both. It's mm-hmm. it's not Jesus as an idea. Mm-hmm. It's Jesus who he actually is mm-hmm. that we're trying to connect with. Mm-hmm. Um, and in as expressed in the the mm-hmm. historic Orthodox mm-hmm. Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I mean, all of these prayer practices come out of. Orthodox Christian mm-hmm. faith. <laughs> yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it can be both. Sure. It just happens to be those are the voices right now, which causes some of these more maybe conservative voices that, that people might be more comfortable with saying, avoid that. You know, mm-hmm. there was this article that came out um, from one of these conservative bloggers saying, oh, the, don't read the Enneagram. And yeah. so then I have to tell my people it's yeah. okay that we're reading the Enneagram stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like we have to reclaim yeah. Some of it, but it's also having the, it's also bringing that historic Orthodox mm-hmm. Christian faith back into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least from, from where the church I, uh, I, I, the church I serve, but also yeah. even if I wasn't a pastor, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the historic uh, Orthodox Christian faith that yeah. I practice yeah. and follow and believe in, mm-hmm. um, this has to, this has to deepen that commitment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it has. 
from what I've seen, whether it was serving at Hope with college students that were struggling at points of their faith, or outside in the church at large and with my directees in the prison, um, that when we come to uh, this place of confusion with the church and then say we're introduced with um, some Enneagram language and all of a sudden, oh, there's so much more. I, I, I've i got this bigger picture of myself and the world. And then uh, it could also be this wonderful experience with some idea of part of the church or some mystical, and so that we want to kind of marginalize. I, I never knew this before. And so all that must be a sham. And now I am finding the real substance, the real truth. And so that we want to kind of slip over here to this. And, and so to be able to, to step back instead of running away from where we've come from, but just seeing the work of the Spirit. And that's why I love being able to sit down with you guys and seeing who you are now from these early stories. To integrate is to bring all these things together, meaning our past, our past sins, our past strengths. So so how to hold all this, it's enormous. Um, yeah, I mean, I was working with a student this summer, really wonderful Catholic uh, junior, um, grew up pretty faithful, you know, mm-hmm. and then came to college and, you know, learned all this beautiful theology, you know, mm-hmm. um, that we've been studying and he spent a lot of time with our priest and it's really going deeper into prayer mm-hmm. and these prayer practices. And, 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 um, and he too, he asked this, he had said the same question. He said, how come I never heard about this growing up? Mm-hmm. You know, and he was, you know, he's a little annoyed. Um, <laughs> right. and, you know, on the one hand, I, I, I'm sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, I said, could you have received it before this? Interesting. Could you have received it before you came to college? Mm. And he's like, well, no, you know, you're right. <laughs> you know, you're right. Mm. Um, so, you know, yeah. I think uh, part of it, what I see is, especially at my, my job at Hope, is, you know, introducing people to their own tradition. You yeah. know, I mean, so I get students who are suspicious of these things, you know, um, because that's not what my church did, you know. And sometimes our church practices are too narrow, but that's what I'm um, yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. and again, that's not to condemn every the you know everything right. in the narrow swath. There's there's a lot of good, right? <laughs> yeah. But that narrowness, you know, that swath actually connects to a, a much yeah. broader, you know, wellspring. Yeah, uh, you know, and you help move them along. You know, one mm-hmm. of the things I do during my congregational prayer, which the kind of service I have. The, you know, a lot of churches, a lot of services like the service I lead don't have these things, but we do the Lord's Prayer often. Mm-hmm. And But we even, I'll even say, God in our silence, hear our prayer. God in our mm-hmm. silence, hear our confession. And it's not one of these, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to wait five seconds of silence. I let a good, mm-hmm. and maybe Josh, you were there during some yep. of those times mm-hmm. I did that. It's like, you know, you let them sit in there for a little mm-hmm. bit. And yep. it's, it's, it's unlike most of the services like our service, mm-hmm. but you inch them. You inch them along mm-hmm. because it's it's good for them. It's good for them to be exposed to those things. And, so let me yeah. try this out on you. So one of the ways that I'll say it, because I care about the church, but I also want to be generous to those that aren't following orthodoxy in the way that I I I do in the way I care about it. Um, I have ministry partners, uh, other spiritual directors that have been honestly beat up by the church and. Uh, 
really hurt and confused. And so I can, I can have a lot of sympathy and compassion for people that are, you know, I just don't know how to go into a church building because of what, uh, we could call it spiritual abuse, um, even emotional abuse. And, and so we assign this freedom we start to experience with things like contemplative prayer, the mystical. The mystical needs to be um, a lot larger than my mind, and so therefore there's no need for some sort of doctrine. And so the way that I, what I'm wanting to try on you, what I would say to them is there's really no such thing as alternative orthodoxy. There's really no, there's just orthodoxy. Maybe it's just that, through prayer, we're beginning to appreciate the vocabulary of the Lord's Prayer, the vocabulary of our great doctrines, and that we just haven't, like you were saying to that student, maybe you just didn't underst- weren't ready to understand it now. But because of the Spirit's work in your life, you're learning to see that orthodoxy is enormous. And it's actually the necessity of prayer t- to create that space. It's not that we have to move outside of our doctrine or outside of the church. It's that we need to actually learn how to engage the truth of that being through prayer. Yeah, Flannery O'Connor says sometimes we have to suffer as much from the church as for the church. Mm. Um, And I think that's right because Mm. the church is full of sinners Mm. like you and me and Mm. you as well. Um, Not Dominic. (laughs) Well, at least you and I. Oh, stop it. But the desire is so the church beats mm-hmm. you up. That's bad, right? Mm-hmm, and yeah. and you understand why people have negative reactions. You know, mm-hmm. the Catholic Church is going through another scandal at the mm-hmm. moment, which yeah. is all over all over the news. It's very painful for all of us. Mm-hmm. It's very evil, um, and it's it's disgusting and it's disheartening. You mm-hmm. know, um, but where would I? possibly go mm. outside the body of Christ. Mm. <laughs> There's no place to go. Um, so, right, what do you do? I mean, it's it, if you're looking for a pure church, you will seek in vain. Um, yeah. And you will also seek contrary to the will of Christ mm-hmm. and to the reality that Christ uh, prophesied. He said, in the kingdom of heaven, there are wheat and there are weeds. Master, should we take up the wheat? Should we take up the weeds now? No, let them grow together. Mm-hmm. You know, because you might pull up some weeds, some wheat as well, right? Yeah. So you know, it's not for you to just you know to you know find the pure church now, mm-hmm. right? That's a that's a false utopian dream. You know, um, we're not donatists. Right? <laughs> you know, we're we're, we're we're Christians. So um, yeah, that that's always a false desire, right? We always want to make the church better. You make the church better by starting with yourself <laughs> and because, starting with your family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What we started with is that I'm the one playing patty cake with God. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to be cute on this, no, but I, would, I always would say, you know, this is kind of what I say. Um, you know, the second you, um, the, the second I would find a perfect church, mm-hmm. and if I joined it, I would ruin it because I joined <laughs> it. This isn't a direct quote from Bonhoeffer, but kind of a paraphrase. He says, you know, don't um, get so enamored with the community that you wish you had that you've ruined the one you have uh you know he talks about that mm-hmm. in life together mm-hmm. um uh and it's that there's no idealized mm-hmm. community so like love the one you have yeah um and um and i always say for people that have been harmed by the church um i always lead with love and and mm-hmm. to also remind them there's a lot of good everyday mm-hmm. people like myself who um are trying to serve the church mm-hmm. faithfully mm-hmm. and um 
and we're not all those folks, you know, and um, and there's lots of priests who aren't caught up in scandal. Countless um, priests that aren't mm-hmm. caught up in scandal. Um, one that ministered to me when I was in high school, and he was just a God fear, you know, faithful servant, you know. So for every for every one that's in scandal, there's hundreds, thousands of, mm-hmm. of those who are just humble humble mm-hmm. people trying to to serve and and mm-hmm. so. And to, to sort of be encouraged that way, mm. but also to recognize that there's reason for baggage. Mm. Um, but that's why also I lead the way I lead because mm. I want it to be a place where anyone can come mm. and hear the gospel. Mm. So that's, that's what I, so I think it all, I think that all kind of comes together on that. Thank you. I think this is what leads me to my urgency about contemplation, about trying to describe as far as language can Hopefully people listening can hear some of that ache for God in larger spaces inside of our lives. Uh, I have a love for the church. I understand my weakness and my failures. So I want to commit myself to deeper faithful practices for the sake of healing. And that's why I have this urgency and this, the, the spirit of what we're doing here with the invitation is to continue to offer that space so that we can believe that the spirit is alive in this healing and that there is so much more help available than what we can ask or imagine. Mm-hmm. And I want to say something to you too, Josh, the mm-hmm. language of invitation really was developed during your time. I don't know how it was kind of forming before, mm-hmm. but you started really developing that language of invitation theory. at Hardaway. Mm-hmm. And that is still something that, um, you know, John and I, you, my colleague at, at mm-hmm. Hardaway, we use that the terminology of invitation a lot, mm-hmm. where when I'm bringing it home a lot, mm-hmm. I'll often say, here's the invitation that Jesus mm-hmm. is giving us today. And mm-hmm. you kind of go. And so, yeah, I think that that's a, I think that's very fitting and very important mm-hmm. language because it's, um, it's welcoming, mm-hmm. but it's also not overbearing. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. an invitation. And yeah. I think that's such an important, important uh, kind of concept for our time, mm-hmm. the times that we're in right now. Yeah. With with scandals in not just Catholic churches, but in All pretty of much yeah. not just the churches, but across our major institutions to understand prayer as rebellion, prayer as a subversive act of hope to believe that there is redeemer, that there is help to stare at the darkness that's around us, to be invited into it, but to do that winsomely. So I want to thank you guys for sitting down and having this conversation. It means a lot to me. Thank Thank you, you. Josh. Okay. Amen.